Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. A young handball player walks through the clinic door and she tells you that her shoulder is bad and it's getting worse. What do you do next? Today, Suzanne Gard joins me to explain her approach to diagnosing and managing shoulder instability. And it's an approach that she's honed over years of experience in the clinic working with youth athletes, including at the Youth Olympics. Suzanne teaches physiotherapy at the University of Applied Sciences in Geneva, and she works clinically at the University Hospital in Lausanne, Switzerland, where she treats shoulder injuries in youth athletes. As a newly elected member of the International Federation of Sports Physical Therapy's Executive Board, Suzanne also shares a little insight on what we can expect from IFSPT in the next few years. Don't forget you can register today for IFSPT's Legendary World Congress. The next one is in Denmark in August 2022. Head to ifspt.org to find out more. Suzanne, welcome to JOSPT Insights. Thank you, Claire. And I was very excited to participate. I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on treating shoulder injuries in youth athletes, particularly today. And I'm going to jump straight into a clinical scenario, and we're going to use this clinical scenario to shape our discussion today. And I'm going to introduce a young handball player walking through the clinic door to see you, Suzanne, and she tells you that her shoulder pain is bad and it's getting worse. What would make you suspect that shoulder instability is the main problem here? That's a very good example because this is really what I do as a clinician. Tell me your story. And then I I try to shut up and listen because uh, sometimes we tend to overcomplicate things and uh, interrupt the patient. So I I try really to do that, even with young patients. In their story, sometimes they they mention they they have uh, instead instability but they don't mention it with these words they they just say it feels sometimes like my shoulder is not in the right place or it did dislocate it so that's really uh, easy or sometimes they they say well when i do the plank i'm not really sure how it go- it's going to end because they don't feel secure so sometimes it's very, it's very obvious but sometimes it's not Ask them about the incident or the accident they had, and then you can you can really suspect an instability. Then you have to uh, confirm it with the clinical exam, of course. And now we're talking about a handball player here, so an overhead sort of throwing, someone who's doing a lot of throwing. Are there different aspects if we were, say, talking about if this, this youth athlete, if she was a rugby player or a climber, Yes, for example, for the handball floor, if uh, handball, if they didn't ask a, a big uh, incident, I would ask if sometimes they lack uh, strength when they're throwing, or if they have something the feeling of a, of a dead arm, because uh, with this uh, repetitive movement into the same direction, sometimes they acquire instability, but they don't feel it really like instability. And if you have a rugby player, it's a collision sport. So maybe you will have this big incident. 
But then you have to make sure it's that shoulder and not the AC joint, which is more common in uh, rugby. So you have to differentiate that afterwards. The climber needs to hang with her shoulder or his shoulder. And then they have a lot of impact too when they have to reach out very fast to hold. So it's, it's really different. So you can ask different questions with the different sports. And so I guess that underscores how important it is to have a good working knowledge of the sport and the demands of the sport because we've we've picked three different cases here, handball, rugby and climbing, that have very different demands on the shoulder. That's uh, what is so special about the shoulder. What are the demands of the different sports relating to the shoulder? Because we had underarm sports, overarm, uh, overhead sports, hanging kind of sports, impact sports, collision sports. Yeah, and I think you as specialist shoulder physiotherapists, physical therapists have a very particular skill set and a very challenging and very challenging job and a very skilled in problem solving. So hats off to you for working through all of those different planes of movement and all of those different types of sports and ways that people use their shoulder. Mm-hmm. I used to work a lot with knees, but I might say um, shoulder is challenging. Absolutely. Now let's come back to our our athlete, youth athlete with what you're suspecting is instability. And let's say that you've made the diagnosis now for the youth handball player. Does it matter what direction the the instability is? Do you care if it's multidirectional instability versus anterior instability? And if so, how's that going to influence the decisions you make after you've made the diagnosis? Yes, it matters a lot. Posterior instability is not so common in the general population. It's about 3%. But from a clinical point of view, you can reasonably say that uh, with sporting adolescents, like young athletes, you have much more than that. You don't want to miss that because um, when you start uh, to work, and we, we will talk about this later, but when, when you start to work for a shoulder that uh, is unstable anteriorly, then you, you will choose close chain exercise. If you do that with, the, with, uh, with posterior instability, it will be catastrophic because they will, they will feel very unsafe on the closed chain position. So it matters a lot when you start the, re- the rehabilitation. And for the anterior uh, instability, you will have to work in a safe zone when they don't dislocate, if they had a dislocation. So you will have to work in an inverted cone. Like when you have the hands up, they will be together. And when you have your hands down, they can be away from each other. From each other. But you will work always in a zone where you can see your hands. To avoid that instability and that potential for dislocation. Exactly. So you see that um, the direction or the multi-direction of instability is very important to guide your treatment. Yeah, it's going to help you. It's going to be really important to help you make those clear or decisive clinical decisions. Absolutely. Now, the other thing about decision-making around treatment, I think one of the common questions is about shoulder stabilization surgery. And we know that it is an option for, at least for some athletes, but perhaps not for all athletes. 
What information do you see is is critical to share with athletes and parents, if we're talking about youth athletes, to help them make an informed decision about the best treatment for shoulder instability? Well, with uh, very young athletes, um, it's important to consider the, the you know, the growing, growing uh, plates, so the growing state. You don't want to uh, have surgery on a too young patient. Would that mean waiting until the fices are closed, Suzanne, before considering yes, surgery? Yes, that, that would be better. That would be advised. And that gives you more opportunity to have a good rehabilitation. And sometimes you don't need surgery. So it's, it's not a bad thing, actually. With these, some of these big surgeries, it's like you're not sacrificing time if you take the time to work at it, do some rehab first, test how the body responds. And then that doesn't mean that you can't make a decision later for surgery, but you perhaps end up setting yourself up for a better outcome after the surgery as well. Exactly, exactly. And that that is, uh, we have to mi- mitigate the risks and the benefits, you know, like, and it's not so easy. The argument about surgery is about the risk of damage or subsequent, uh, when you have a subsequent uh, dislocation. So mainly bony damage. So when you have a dislocation, then you have the risk of losing some bone. The shoulder can become even more unstable. And the younger you are, the the greater the risk of dislocating again. The surgery after first dislocation for young people, especially under 20. We don't know what rehab was done, you know, what the non-surgical treatment was, if it was really complete, if it was good quality rehabilitation. So we don't know about that. Very often, the quality of uh, physio was really poorly described, and that we could not replicate what we th- what the study uh, mentioned as an intervention. So that's the main problem, and it's always the same story with all the joints. And also, the pressure to get a surgery is really great because there is uh, Doctor Google, the coaches, the surgeons, the entourage, the the, the family sometimes because. They fear they will have a second dislocation. And very often we don't consider enough the risk of the surgery compared to a good non-surgical intervention. Give rehabilitation a chance if you can. I'm really struck, Suzanne, by the parallels and the similarities with the discussions that we have about ACL injury and, and youth athletes with ACL injuries and surgery no surgery, what time, and and also this this idea that the younger you are, the greater the risk for new injury. So in the shoulder, we're talking about another dislocation and in the knee, we're talking about often a graft rupture or a contralateral ACL tear and and not even to mention the chondral injuries or the meniscus tears. And we're, we're getting a better picture, I think, of in the knee at least how important the joint surfaces and the meniscus are to overall joint health. And uh, the parallel goes beyond that because, uh, you know, instability is really um, a fascinating subject with all the impacts on the brain and and uh, modification in the cortex and uh, what does it do to the muscular pattern and 
We need another podcast just to talk about the brain, I think. We've had one recently with Dustin Grooms, Dr. Dustin Grooms, talking about all of the brain changes and rehabilitation after knee injuries. Maybe we need something for shoulders as well. So let's think, let's come back to our young handball player again. How would you approach structuring a rehabilitation program to help her manage her shoulder instability? The main thing to avoid is to start too soon with high loads, one joint one plan of mobility, and then to increase the speed, to increase the load, and then go to more joints joints involved, maybe the elbow, maybe the trunk, and then you go on to kinetic chain and more speed and more load. And I think sometimes we, we get too soon with the high load and we often don't explore speed enough. Start simple, start with low load. And most of the time you have anterior instability and they like close chain exercise. So it's maybe slide along against the wall. It can be against a push uh, against a ball or have um, even uh, weight, a little bit of weight, but not too much, just to increase the proprioception and to make a like um, semi-closed chain exercise. Would you recommend people do that exercise in the forward flexion plane? So they've got the hand in front of them or out to the side? In the in front of them, it's better. And then you can move slowly to the side. So as I said, you, you try to keep this uh, safe uh, space where they feel safe all the time. And when they don't feel safe, then you have to back up a little bit. There's a lot of kinesiophobia and apprehension. It includes a lot of uh, signal to the brain. So you have to avoid that during rehabilitation, but you have to rehab towards these fears too. You have to load also the, the apprehension uh, movements. So you have to go, go there. Yeah. How do you do that in the clinic? Because you're living and breathing this every day, working with youth athletes in Switzerland, in Lausanne. How do you build that trust and how do you sort of work towards getting people to feel comfortable that, yeah, I can push my body a bit and, and we together, we're going to work together to find that line that is within the line that we can operate and, and not push it too far. How do you approach building that relationship, Suzanne? Well, I start by asking them what what movement do they fear the most, and we try to work on the scale. Like, uh, is the combing your hair okay? Is uh, hanging on your on your hand, on your shoulders okay? Is pushing against the wall okay? And we work through that, and I I I do get like a list of movements that are completely safe and a list of movement that they would like to do again, but they, for the time being, they don't feel like it. And I work with objectives, little goals, but I, we work through there, but uh, it's a back and forth conversation. The other thing you mentioned in there was about speed as well and building slowly towards introducing speed and sort of balancing the need to the need for speed the need to progress towards movements that are performed quickly with load can you share a little a little bit about how you gradually introduce speed is it simply getting the handball player to do more throws more quickly 
Well, I start with the furrows really soon, but with very light balls like tennis ball and not in a high position to have your brain firing your, your muscles. You know, you, you have to keep the possibility of firing the muscles. And sometimes I alternate of one side, the other. So the brain, we know that the brain can learn from the other side too. So I, I'm just trying to keep up with the, with the speed, but in a very safe place at the beginning. And the other thing that I'm interested in is about what, what are the criteria that you use to progress? How do you know when it's time to progress? Is that pain? Is it the feeling of instability? How do you make that call? You know that we abandoned totally the time frame, you know, for progression. We progress uh, with, you know, objectives to uh, to obtain. Like, uh, for example, uh, if you cannot, uh, if you can, you don't have the range of motion to do the cocking position. So you're not throwing a ball from this position. So you you need to work, you know, maybe your thoracic mobility and until you can achieve this mobility, that could be one goal is to achieve the external rotation mobility without fearing of dislocation. And then you can add speed and then you can add maybe weight in your arm and then you can progress with hitting targets and running and throwing at the same time. So it's that old adage of start with the end in mind and work backwards. Yes, it's very useful. I'd like to delve into training load just a little bit more. Specifically thinking about managing training load for these athletes can be hard to kind of get them to stop. Do you need to say, look, no, now you need to stop for a while and we've got to build this back up again? And and how would you go about doing that return to sport planning? With young athletes, you have to be aware that the Sports is a second family for them. So if you if you think about sports, you take away their family, their second family. So that's horrible. It's really important that they can go back to training as soon as possible, not to compete because competition is difficult to reduce the load or the risk. That that's very difficult. There's less that you can control, I guess, in that competitive environment, that performance environment. Yes, the intensity is very high and then you have contacts and everything. The main goal is to return them to training as soon as possible because they need their peers. I often tell them it's an opportunity to work on other other things. So they can have a program that they do aside, but they go to the gym and they, they do their stuff. They do the maybe the, the warm-up and then they do their stuff. If you can throw both hands really good then you're a very skilled uh, handball player so that could be a, um, a thing that go to training and do play only with the other hand so that they can improve and uh, become better and become stronger i work also a lot of with basketball and the, the the taller you are the less good you are with your legs you know with your plyometric your ability to jump because when you're young, you're always taken into the team because you're so tall and then you don't have to work so much on your lower body. So it's a good opportunity too to make them work on their jumping abilities and the kinetic chain and, you know. Yeah, so it sounds like you're taking what some might call a growth mindset to this potential setback and 
that concern about losing the social support is is very real. So I like that approach of the growth mindset of, okay, perhaps some of these things are off the table for now, but what else can we work on in the meantime? And, and what else can we focus on to help you perform at your best and become the best athlete that you can be? Let's finish off with your top tips for how do you ensure that youth athletes have autonomy and agency in the decisions that affect them so that it feels like they're part of that decision-making process and, and perhaps they are the one taking a lot of responsibility for making that decision and not having the decisions made for them. And, and I guess the other aspect is how do you sort of navigate the competing tensions between parents, coaches, athletes, teams, and, and that, that complex environment that the athlete is often in? Yeah, that's a very interesting question because with the young athletes, you have very often the parents, you know, very close, obviously, and uh, the coaches that are maybe seeing the the young more than the parents sometimes, depending on the sport. So in terms of hours, so you have to navigate. That's true. The first thing you have to keep in mind that you have to to back up the the young athlete. You have to side with them because. You're the one who is concerned only by their health. You're treating the athlete, not the parents in this case. Yes, yes, of course. My top tip above all when you treat young athletes is this, don't work alone. If Even if you're alone in your practice and you don't work in the hospital like I do, don't work alone. Be sure to have contact resources that you can you can call them and you can ask them their advice. It's really difficult to do that on your own. I'm fortunate enough to work in the, as, a, as you said, in the Sporado, in the, in the University Hospital of Lausanne, the CHUV. I work with sports physicians, orthopedic surgeons, sports psychologists, and we have uh, access to nutritionists, OB, you know, specialized in sports and uh, pneumologists. And so I'm very fortunate, but all these people are also available. You know, you can create your own network. My second tip working with young athletes is confidentiality. It's really, really important that you you talk about that uh, very soon, is that confidentiality of what they might say and and you have to make sure you create a safe space without judging because you're not the parents, you know, like they, they have enough judgment from their peers, from the, you know, the environment. And they're very, very sensitive to that. So you have to make sure you don't judge and you, you make a safe space. In our center, every young patient has to fill up a questionnaire before entering a consultation. They have to tick boxes. And there are all kinds of questions about fatigue, sleep, you know, the family, the school, and sexual abuse. We try also in physio that to be very open with that and to stress the, this confidentiality. That's really because uh, sometimes you have an injury, a sporting injury, but behind that, there is a whole forest of, uh, you know, other problems. And my third tip is communication. Call the coaches, discuss with them for the return to sport, the return to competition. And I think a good communication between, you know, the entourage of the young is very key. Suzanne, three great tips there. 
communication, confidentiality, and don't work alone. Before I let you go, can I get you to share a little bit of insight with us about the International Federation for Sports Physical Therapy as a member of the executive committee or the executive board? What can we look forward to from IFSPT as we head into 2022? Well, as you said, I just got elected there, and uh, I'm congratulations. The, yeah, I'm the new treasurer, and I'm very excited to work with this uh, team from uh, all around the world. We are, we will continue to uh, promote education and also the pathway to, for each country to have a pathway to um, become a specialist in sports physiotherapy. The goal, the main goal is to increase the quality of the sports physiotherapy across the world for the, the good of all athletes. How can people get involved with IFSPT? Folks who are listening to us today who think that, oh, IFSPT, that sounds like it could be for me. How can they get involved with IFSPT? I think they, they can go get involved through their federation, uh, national federation, and they could, if the National Federation has not yet joined IFSPT. That could be a first step. And then they can come to our Congress. The next Congress will be in, uh, in, in Denmark, uh, 22, and it will be during the summer, end of August, in Niborg. I can absolutely vouch for the IFSPT Congresses. I've attended a few of them and they are wonderful learning opportunities, wonderful networking opportunities and very professionally run. So very high recommendation from me for sure. Suzanne, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today about shoulder instability and your experience working with youth athletes and and helping them to perform at their best and achieve their goals. Thank you for joining me on JOSPT Insights. And thank you, Claire, for the invitation. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time.